If you all look at the front of your bulletin covers, you'll notice a series called Living in the Red. This is the last time for a while that I'm going to introduce that series because we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me preface what I'm about to say for the rest of the morning in saying we have not come to the end of Jesus' words. We haven't even scratched the surface. We've touched the latter half of the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes. We've looked around at some other uh, key passages throughout. But today, if you're a creative writer, if you're a persuasive writer, if you're a student, when you need to make your point with a big finish, learn from the Master and listen to what Jesus says. Because his points, as he finishes this wonderful sermon, are convicting, they're real, and they're right in front of us. And he doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room for us to wonder if maybe we can wiggle our way out of it. And also, it's full of joy, it's full of hope, and it's full of meaning. When I think of life and people ask, what's it all about? Hopefully, we know Jesus in such a way that we say our lives have meaning through the person of Jesus Christ that leads us to the Father. And so as we pray, I'd like you to be quiet before the Lord for a moment because you will be, we all together, as I've been wrestling all uh, week with this message, we'll be faced with the question of, do we know him? What does our heart testify about him? So let's just pause for a moment and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, my words would be few and you would turn us to what you have for us. Thank you so much for your son, for the justice that came from him giving his life so that we might be set free from the life that comes from believing on him, from the love that we can give you because you've first given it to us and then we give it away. Lord, teach us this morning, we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't guessed, you can open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 13. You can follow along. I'm going to do the scripture reading this morning. Oh, too far. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who has had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Wow! What a way to finish. He finishes nice and light, right? No, he dives right in. And he addresses things like many that say they believe and follow me, they don't. He addresses the issue that honestly, the road is narrow 
and not many people are going to end up following through it. And that's reality. He tells us that many are going to seek to build their house in the sand, but if you've ever tried to build a sandcastle before the tide comes in, what happens when the tide comes in? Sandcastle goes away. And the devastation on your little child is very real. And they don't understand. The devastation for those that place their foundation on the sand and on sin is much greater. It's hell. And we're going to look at these realities this morning. But first, we start with verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. Many of you have heard me talk enough times to know that I love being outside. Uh, I, specifically, I love hiking. And before I moved to Hong Kong, I loved a specific type of hiking called backpacking. What backpacking means is you carry your house on your back. Everything you need for however long you're going to live is with you. Now, I'm a small guy, which means I have to be very, very selective with what I put in my backpack because it can't have too much weight because I'm a weakling. And so I have to choose very carefully. The other thing I need to know is where I'm going. And one of my favorite places to hike in all of the world is this wonderful thing. If you're familiar with American lore, there are many wonderful stories told about the Appalachian Trail. It is one of my favorite spots in the world. Not for its high mountains. Even Hong Kong has higher mountains than most of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, Not really, but they're not very high, but they are beautiful. And it's this trail that stretches from the top half or the top portion of the state of Maine over on the East Coast, if you remember the Robertson family where they live, all the way down to where I went to university in Georgia. But the thing is with the Appalachian Trail is you need to know that sign. If you don't know that sign, you will end up on a side trail and you will get lost quickly, I promise. The first time my best friend and I ever set out to start hiking the Appalachian Trail, we were going to do, I think, about 100 miles over the course of two weeks or so. And we were excited about it. We were packed poorly, and I'll get into that later on. But our, uh, my friend's sister led us off at the trail where we thought we were close by, and we started walking. And we walked, and we walked, and we walked. And a guy crossed our path a little ways down the road, and he said, oh, you're headed to Springer Mountain, which is the actual beginning of the Appalachian Trail. And we said, no, we're headed to Tennessee. He said, well, then why are you walking toward Georgia? We were walking in the wrong direction from the very beginning. We didn't have a chance. We would have been done in the next day, and our hike would have been over, because then we would have been discouraged. Well, we were embarrassed, And it just would have been a failure. So we turned around. We realized we're not very good at reading maps and compasses. And we began to look for this sign. And you know what? From that point on, we followed wherever that Appalachian Trail told us to go. We didn't get off that trail unless we absolutely had to for water. And we kept pressing on. And we had a great trip for most of the time. The thing is, in our journey with Jesus Christ... He is so clear. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the great gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many go through it. Let me ask you a question. Why is it so easy to make a bad choice? You ever wonder that? It is way easier to do the wrong thing to spend money you don't have, to tell a lie, to make a poor decision, to cheat on your taxes, to lie to your employer, to whatever it is, it is often way easier to do that, right? You know why? Because the road is wide. And Satan has made sin to appeal very enticing. Paul, in one of the most brilliant chapters in the Bible, especially when it's translated into English, says, why do I do what I don't want to do and why don't I do what I want to do? He says, this very nature of sin is at work in me and I don't like it. And this is Paul, arguably the greatest Christian to ever live. And he understands that that nature of sin was at war with him and continued to be at war with him. 
down to the littlest thing. Do I tell the truth in this situation? No. Boom. We veered off track. We've stepped off the Appalachian Trail and gone down a spur trail. Jesus invites us in our spiritual lives into following a straight line. <laughs> he doesn't even say it's, it's going to go this left and right. He says it's narrow and it's straight and it's me. What does he mean? Well, last week, if you remember, we discussed how easy it can be to give glory to all sorts of things other than Jesus Christ. And we talked about how what we often do is we move the lampstand instead of it. Now, I know it's not lit today, so let's, let's work on that this week, please. Let's get some people. We move it around and we stick it down here where it's right next to our bed. So we read our Bible and we might pray at night. But then we go through the rest of our week and people don't know that we're supposed to be shining our light for all to see Jesus and work in us. We're not walking in a straight line. We're kind of hiding it over here. Well, what else? It's pretty easy to see from what Jesus says here that he's reminding the people of what he's already said in the Sermon on the Mount and in other passages throughout his teaching that he is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to meaningful life. If someone were to ask you today, what's the meaning of life? I would love it if some of you could remember my junior hires answers from years ago. Jesus, he's the only real significance in life. It was funny because as I was having my devotions this morning, I think God wanted to teach me something because every passage I turned to, whether it was the four chapters I read in Job, whether it was in the Psalms or in uh, the uh, tail end of First Corinthians and, and throughout Second Corinthians, the message was the same. Life is short. The things of this world are passing away. But in Jesus, we are invited into a path that is straight. And Jesus doesn't promise it'll be easier. I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. I promise you it's, it's not an easy road to go. But it's the best way, and it's the forever way, and it's the way of meaning. All the money in the world has no meaning the minute you kick it keel over. When you're dead, you're dead. The money doesn't go with you. For those in Christ... The journey has just begun. For those apart from Christ, the reality sets in for eternity that they will suffer a Christless eternity separated from love and enduring hell. And that should break our hearts. And while Jesus tells us that the gate is narrow, he also tells us we've got to enter through it. Are we inviting people into the gate? Or are we hoping that Pastor Mike will do it? Or are we hoping that anyone else will do it but us? And the other thing is, if we really think about it, do we believe that we're even in? Do we know that we, in our hearts we have set apart Christ as Lord? Well, that's what Jesus is going to continue to work through as he s continues speaking. But so many people get to this point and they don't even want to go through the gate. I'll be honest. I've been turned down far more times talking to people about Jesus than people that have said, yeah, I want that. Well, why is that? Because time and again, humans like to do something. We like to replace the glory of God's approval with seeking man's approval. When you got up this morning and got dressed was the first thing you thought to yourself, and I'm not saying this is a big significant one, was, does what I'm wearing please God? Was that your first thought? Probably not. But for many of us, our first thought was, what are they going to think of if I wear this? Right? What is blah, 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 whoever going to think if I show up in this? Or what if somebody has the same clothes as me and then we'd match and I'd be very embarrassed? Or... What if someone doesn't like what I have to say? Or the list goes on. We get thinking about all these things about what everyone else thinks and we've moved the lampstand. We've moved the lampstand away from the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, don't worry about what you wear. Please wear clothes. But he said, look, I clothe the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. I got you covered. Bring the glory to me, not unto how beautiful and attractive and handsome you are. You are all beautiful and handsome creatures. 
And God loves and made each one of you on purpose. He didn't do it by accident. Do we know that? Do we believe that? Or do we get our significance and our hope from what other people have to say about us? Whether I have a tie on today or not. Or whatever the issue might be. We seek man's approval over God. Many people follow that same pattern. They simply don't want to consider the fact that we are sinful. Do we like talking about sin? No. But you can't talk about the good news of Jesus Christ if we don't identify that we are broken creatures. It just doesn't work. Because if we didn't need saving, Jesus could have enjoyed sitting at the feet of God or next to God at the right hand of God for all eternity. He didn't have to become man and walk among us and pay the price for our sins so that we might, our sins might be atoned for, so that we might be justified and saved. Many people also don't want to look past the fact that this world is frail, that this world is temporary. We don't want to take an eternal perspective because that's hard to quantify. No one can count to infinity, can you? No, you can't. And then we get to that big one. Many, many, many people will balk at the very idea that to have a free life, to be set free, to enjoy the life God has created you for, you've got to give control to someone else. We like control, don't we? Yeah, we do. We want to be in control, whether it's the small things or as we get older, the bigger things. We want to control our environments. But the thing is, when people talk to me about why do you say we have to give all of our life to God, I think of Ikea furniture. (laughs) Why in the world would I think of Ikea furniture? How many of you have ever tried to put a piece of Ikea furniture together? It is the most sanctifying, testing, salvation, cursing endeavor known to man. That little man and his little picture that makes it look so easy to put that screw in that hole that doesn't even exist on that board frustrates me to no end. And I can't stand it. But the man, that wonderful Swedish man, sitting in his office that was drawing that map for me, It made perfect sense to him because he's the creator. He's the author and he gets it. I'll never forget when Melissa and I first moved here, we spent four hours on a coffee table and at the end of it, we had a piece. And she looked at me, where's this go? I looked at her and said, I don't care, throw it away. (laughs) And we did. And by the grace of God, not really, by good engineering throughout the coffee table still stood up. But you see, the thing is, we think we're better at controlling our lives than the creator, than the one that actually made us. He gave us the instruction book, and praise God, his instruction book isn't nearly as confusing as Ikea. And he says, follow me. Follow the instructions I've laid out before you. I've got a plan. And I'm the author of the plan. All you have to do is believe on my son and let him change your life. But so many of us say, I'm going to put this one down and I'm going to grab what life has to give me right now. That's more important. The road is narrow and it's not marked by sin. It's marked by life. When someone has truly discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ, have you known, noticed how their life changes? They're excited about life. They don't feel like they have to be self-sufficient. And they don't feel like they have to save themselves. And they don't want to because they know they have Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. But they also know that goes with that, that they want to do everything in their power to invite everyone else they can into the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, into the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all people. Not all will choose to follow it, but our responsibility as the church and as his family is to give them the opportunity. I cannot manipulate you today to do anything. 
except maybe if I tell a funny enough joke, you might laugh. See, that doesn't even work. I can't force you to do anything. But God's word invites us to look here and say, come on, come with me. Come follow Jesus with me. When I say follow my example as I follow Christ, I'm not telling you to follow how holy I am. Don't. I am learning and I am growing. Hopefully I'm a little more like Jesus today than I was yesterday and tomorrow even a little more. But we can learn and we can grow and we can walk together and we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, walking the narrow way and inviting others to go with us. Jesus tells us not everybody's going to follow, but enter in. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's not enough to praise the gate. It's not enough to stand next to the gate. It's got to be entered. That means every one of us that comes under the teaching of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost, has to make that personal decision themselves. I can't make it for you. If I could, I would. But you have to decide what you will do with this Jesus whom we serve. Is he your Lord? And that's where we get to the next bit. He tells us, watch out. There will be false prophets. Now, we think of prophets in a very, very narrow scope today. Those that can tell the future, right? That's typically how we think of prophets. But through most of the Bible, prophetic voice was being able to tell the truth, to speak for God. So the moment you enter into a conversation where you're telling people about God, you're speaking with a prophetic voice because he's laid it on your heart of what to tell others. Why? Because Peter teaches us that you are a royal priesthood set apart for him. We are called to carry this word, to carry the word of God with us and to tell others about it. But as we do, we have to be careful of certain types of people. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They may look good. They may sound good. Their theology may be almost right. But they, for whatever reason, begin to move this lampstand off of Christ. And they begin to move it further and further and further away. And they begin to talk about superfluous issues, issues that are important, but only important in the light of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And they begin to make whatever issue is going on in the church bigger than the light of Christ. They begin to be divisive, saying what we're against rather than who we're for. You want to watch out for false teachers. Look for people that would much rather talk about controversy than those that would love to introduce you to the light and the hope and reason that we have in Christ Jesus. It is important to know why we believe what we believe. We are sending numerous people through the Arzim apologetics course and we will keep doing that and we believe that and we're going to teach it often and regularly. But at the bottom line, the gospel means nothing if we don't have love. Nobody can say amen to that. Then you're sleeping. And Paul's got a word for you for that too. We have to watch out. A prophet was one who spoke for another, particularly speaking for God. And the reality is they've moved the lampstand so far sometimes that all we see is them. If you read enough Christian blogs these days, you've heard the term celebrity pastor. Now, there is nothing wrong with godly men and women that have been exalted and are well-known. You can learn from them. Please do. I will never be one of those, and I am very happy about that. But there are people that I love to learn from and sit under their teaching. But if it becomes about them and not Jesus Christ, we've missed the point. And we've seen one of them get in trouble in the past month. Because it became about them and their lives didn't act up, didn't match up. And you know what? Timothy tells us that, or Paul tells Timothy, to to whom much is given, much is expected. I go to bed at night feeling like I'm having a heart attack because the weight of God's word is heavy upon me because I don't want to steer you anywhere but to Jesus Christ. It's terrifying, people. You guys scare me. But even more than you leading you down a path that doesn't lead you to surrender all of your life to Jesus Christ terrifies me. 
and I will die trying to make sure you see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I pray that you will walk with me in it because I can't do it on my own. I get 35 minutes. All the rest of the time is between you and God. Can we walk together and can we protect each other? They might do wonderful things. They might sound great. They might promise you a new car, all the houses you could want and everything, but that's not the gospel message. So how do, we, how do we avoid false teachers? How do we watch out together as the church family? Well, first, do you see Christ in them? Do, do they bleed Christ? Are they going to have bad days? Yes. I would ask your grace for any pastor, whether it's me or anyone else that endeavors to teach you the word of God. We are human. And we will fail. And if you question that and we are married, just ask our spouse. But the reality is we are trying to walk with you and we are trying to grow with you and we are trying to point you to Jesus Christ. And if you see Christ in us, give him the glory, not us. So how do you watch out for a false teacher? You start there. Do I see Christ in them? Second, tell me about the fruit they're bearing. That's two things. Remember, fruit in the New Testament could mean two different things. One, it meant the inward fruits, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Get all those? Galatians. The other part of the fruit is when people see Christ in us, are they drawn to God or to man? You might have the specific gift of evangelism where people just automatically fall down and say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I need Jesus now. Or you might be one, I had a missionary professor in college that taught us, he said, some of you will enter mission fields where you will go your whole life without ever leading a person to Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you're not bearing fruit. Your part of the journey is to be an example. Do people know that you are following Jesus? They may not choose to come with you, but do they see him in you? And when you get the chance, are you multiplying? Are you inviting others to come into that journey? They may make a choice that you don't agree with, but are you inviting them in? Are you investing in them? Pastor Dan gave that invitation to those of you that have already gone to multiply. Grab someone else and walk them together. Make a disciple. Invest intentionally in someone, not because we have this cool program that sounds like a good word and that I really like math, but because it's what Jesus told us to do. Make disciples who make disciples. So look for that. Are they investing in others? Are they bearing fruit? Are they growing in love? And that other thing, do they invite us not only to deal with sin, any one of you could stand up here and tell me what I'm doing wrong. Right? That's easy. But a person who loves Jesus will walk with us through that journey. Practicing the ministry of reconciliation. Identifying that, yes, those apart from Christ, sin equals judgment equals death equals hell. In Christ, sins are forgiven and we are set free. We learn from our mistakes and we grow and we walk together to help you along that journey so you don't fall off. See the difference? That's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of people I want to walk through life with. I want people that are going to point me to Christ and that if I fall, they're not going to kick me while I'm down. They're going to pick me back up and help. Loving Christ through the process inviting others to come alongside, not to air our dirty laundry. Jesus puts, the, puts it simply. You'll know the false teachers if they bear fruit. If they're pointing to themselves, if they're shaping us or pointing us away from Jesus, love them, invest in them, but don't follow their teaching. But the idea is that if we are a priesthood, a royal priesthood of saints set apart for God for such a time as this, we're supposed to bear fruit. Yes, and that could be scary. Whoa, I barely even have my own spiritual life together. How am I supposed to help others? I'm glad you asked. Because as you realize who Jesus is, he should so shape and change and alter your way of thinking that you can say a few things and it just, Others see it and think, wow, first, when you realize who Jesus is, you could say, I am a sinner 
in the hands of a gracious God that has set me free. And then he invited me into a life as the author of my life. And he says, come do it like it's supposed to be. Obedience isn't bondage. Obedience isn't a burden. Often we think it is. And we remember when our parents told us we had to eat our whatever it was. For me, mashed potatoes. Why would anyone want those? I don't understand. I had to eat them. That is not what obedience to Jesus Christ is all about. Jesus invites us into a life that is life-giving. That when we follow him, we realize there is freedom in him. That there's nothing better than the glory of Jesus that invites us into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I need all of those things. And when I'm living in them, I'm a happier guy. And when I'm living in them, I'm, I'm a happier husband. And my wife is happier. And my kids are happier. And my office is happier. And my church family is happier. And those that I interact with outside are happier, not because of Mike, but because they see Christ in me, not as a burden. Oh, I have to follow Jesus again today. Jeez, I wish I could do something else. I promise you, I wake up in the morning. I'm not always excited about all the meetings I have to go to. Don't misunderstand me. Meetings are still meetings. I don't like them. (laughs) Sorry, those of you that I was in a meeting with yesterday. (laughs) Or the day before, the day before. That's just me. But I get up every morning and I am grateful because I get to carry the word of the Lord with me wherever I go. And that's a privilege that isn't just set aside for a pastor. All of us get that. And we live in a country or a special administrative region where we get to talk about him openly. Some of you will go home at some point and the tools we can give you here, you'll go into a dark area where you're not allowed to talk about him openly, but you're gonna do it anyway. And you're gonna trust that God will provide for you. Go get him. Some of us walk into the workplace tomorrow. It might be a Christian workplace, but it is anything but fruitful. And you might be invited to make a change. And you might be the one that makes that change because the spirit at work in you through the love of Jesus Christ and the justice of God the Father that gave us Jesus. Because you know what? When we're living with him, our minds are renewed. They're transformed. They're being made, as C.S. Lewis told us last week, into little Christ's minds. What was a disciple, ultimately? One who followed so closely the feet of the teacher that the dust of the feet of the teacher got on them. That's how close I want to be to Jesus. I want to follow him that closely and I want to bring us with me. I know more today about Jesus and following him, which means ultimately I realize how little I know. But let's grow together and let's multiply. This is an invitation to a radical commitment. I am not inviting you into what's called nominal Christianity where I've got the Bible next to my bed, I blow it off, I read a passage, and then I'm good. This is not what Jesus calls in the next, or what I call in the next passage, but this is not fire insurance gospel teaching because many people today believe that they prayed the sinner's prayer once, great, and that that's enough, somebody's got a text. but they they feel like just because they prayed a prayer, they've got their fire insurance and they can go on living their lives. And Jesus to them is nothing more than Santa Claus, a nice guy to think about it uh, every once in a while. He's jolly, he's happy. Satan really doesn't want you to hear this next bit because it's painful and it's hard. So your phones are gonna ring a lot. So if you wouldn't mind, turn the ringers off. I'd appreciate it. But listen to what he says here. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, this passage is so hard to preach because I am quite confident that as I look out here, some of you really think you know Jesus, but your lives show none of it. Your lives don't show that you are inviting other people in to a journey with you. You don't have a concept of the light of Christ and who he is and how that should radiate into others around you. You don't have a concept of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, the guy that nailed 96 theses to the door, said later on, 
that for most of his life, while he taught in a seminary, while he studied, he had no idea what a relationship with the Lord meant. And there are many in our churches that do that. Mike, can I lose my salvation? I don't believe you can. What I do believe is many people never understood salvation in the first place. And Jesus says, watch out. If you flip to Revelation, he says, not only do you need to watch out, he will spit you out. And I, I don't enjoy the reality that comes from this truth. It doesn't make me happy, but it is the truth of God's word. We cannot fake following Jesus. We're either his or we're not. The road is right down the middle. Over here, hell. Over there, hell. I'm not sorry because I know the way, the truth, and the life. And I want everyone to come with me. But he does ask for something. Us. He invites us to enter in the gate. It's narrow. It's hard. I promise you are there are difficult times. Melissa and I, as we've sought to follow the Lord and please Him, have faced financial struggle. You know my health issues, and they continue. You know different issues you have and different challenges you have. But God is always God and promises never to leave us, never to forsake us, and nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to live. I can't get through this life. I have three kids and they drive me crazy. I can't get through that without my love of my God. I need Him to look at my mini-me and help. I need Him to look around and know which way to go when it would be so easy to cheat. I need Him to remind me of what is truly significant. Why? Because he is the author and the creator of my faith in the first place. But not everyone who calls on him, Lord, Lord, has made him Lord of their life. You realize when you say Lord, you're saying, I am your servant. My life is yours. Take my life and let it be. Sorry, I'm not going to sing anymore. You don't want to hear that. Holy, pleasing Lord to thee. Our life becomes so much bigger because it's about him. This is the entire point Jesus has made all the way through the Sermon in the Mount. You want your little peon human life, you and six billion other people, that at best you might get 70 years and then you die? Or do you want life? Life eternal, life full of meaning, life full of significance, life that's dealt with your sin, that's dealt with your regret, and that sets you free from it and puts you on the path that says, I will guide you. I have never regretted following where God has lead me, led me, even in the dead of summer in Hong Kong. Am I rich? No, far from it. Am I content? Absolutely. Is there anything else I would do? No. That is the God we serve. He says, in me, you can find hope. In me, you can find justice. I've dealt with your sin for you. I've made the atonement for your sin. Death has lost its sting because of what my son has done for you. And I have made it just as if you had never sinned. I have justified you. We no longer, when we come to this point, when we come to this relationship of who Jesus is, it begins to shape our very understanding of the world around us. It begins to shape how we interact with one another. Because you know what? A couple things happen. When you are radically committed to the life Jesus has for you, not everyone will understand. Back to the first part of the passage. Not everyone will accept your invitation to come along the narrow gate. But true love is subversive and it changes how we see them. We no longer see that person that made, has made our life difficult as a person that's made our life difficult. We see them as someone in need of a savior. We no longer sees that, see that person that has just eliminated our confidence, that has hurt us in so many ways as the one that is sucking the life out of us. We look at them and wonder, how can I bring life to them? 
Why? Because Jesus let me suck the life out of him and nail him to the cross. And he said, I came that you might have life. So why don't we give it away? This is our Jesus. And he tells us that those he's chosen, those he's brought into the way that he's set before us, others will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Jesus told us a couple weeks ago, well, he told it a long time ago, but he said that when they see you in me, they will give glory to God the Father in heaven. And as we've sung just a few minutes ago, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Which leads me to the ultimate question. If not everyone's going to be saved, who has your heart? Or what has your heart? Jesus teaches, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's taught us today so clearly that there is only one way, and it's narrow. You've got to make the choice. But listen to what else Jesus tells us as we ask this question of who has our heart. He tells us, if we love him, we'll obey him out of love, not out of because I have to eat my mashed potatoes. He tells us that if we love him, we can't help but love others. Not, I have to love that person even though I really can't stand them. No, I genuinely love them because I see the grace that Jesus has given me and I want to give that away. Because remember, you deserved hell too. For all have fallen short of God's glory. But God, Jesus tells us that we are to be his light in the world. Are we? I pray that we are. Jesus reminds us that our hope is in him. Our hope isn't what next is, our hope is not in what the person next to you thinks of you. Our hope is not in how creative this sermon was this morning. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ and only in him. And that hope is for all of eternity and we can give it away. It's a free gift. And it is not God's will that any should perish. Many will choose to. God was gracious enough to give us free will and that confuses me it'd be a lot easier if I didn't have a choice and I just did the right thing but God loved us so much that he gave us a choice but in that choice he invites us in but he also tells us that if you do it half-heartedly you're going to get spit out but he also I can keep going he invites us to eternal life he invites us to eternal purpose to life that has meaning to bask in his glory think of Abraham Think of Moses. Think of those that have gone before that they just couldn't help but shine the light of God to others. God gave his very own son so that we could enter into his glory. And he says, come on, bring others with you. He didn't run away when we failed. We've all failed, right? Yes, we have. God didn't run away. He gave us his son and said, I'm going to fix this. Not because they deserve it, because I love them and I am just and their sins have to be paid for. I will give myself, my very blood, my son Jesus for them. All we have to do is believe on him and let him change our lives. And he invites us into the great dance of communion to walk with him. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's merry way. He invites us into that into a life that is, for some reason, called hid in him. I don't want Jesus hid in me. I want him wide open so that all may see him in me and rejoice so that people can know I'm doing my best, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, to follow the directions he's given me. Are you in? Will you follow the road before you? If Christ were to return, Evangelism Explosion 101, If Christ were to return today and ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I would say, I've been bought with a price. I have been saved, justified, and my sins have been atoned for because of what Jesus has done. And I love you, God. I can't wait to enjoy eternity with you. The things of this earth are passing away. Will we struggle? Yeah. Will we mistake? And ha- or will we have mistakes? Will we make them? Yes. 
Do we have to confess? Yes. Will we have doubts? Yeah, doubts are a good thing. They can draw us closer in as we wrestle with the truth of God's word. That's a good thing. But in that process, will Jesus Christ shape us and draw him unto himself? Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. He said, here I am. And he's also told us this, my favorite math equation of all time. Jesus plus nothing equals everything we could ever hope for or imagine. I want us to consider that this morning by listening to a song. You know, we finish with the idea that we are to put our feet on solid ground. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other hope is sinking sand. In our hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer for everyone of the reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Know his word and be able to do it with gentleness and respect. That's imperative. Keeping a clear conscience. When your lives are in him, you're not worried because you know he's got you. Others will speak maliciously about you, but when you are in Christ, they got nothing to say, but he loves Jesus and that bugs me. And who knows? God may soften their heart and you might get the chance to show them Jesus. So as we finish today, let's consider, have we given Jesus our lives? Have we said you are the only way, the truth, and the life? Fly to 
fly to Jesus and live. We're going to forego an actual closing song today and instead consider the last bit of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. You've heard the teachings of Jesus this morning. Will you follow him? In your heart of hearts, have you set apart Jesus Christ as Lord? I'm not inviting you to an easy life. Please don't misunderstand me. I'd love to. But I'm inviting you to the best life you could imagine. To a life full of purpose, a life full of hope, a life full of joy, a life of suffering at times, and a life of eternal glory through God the Father. Maybe you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says it's simple. Believe in me. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven and follow me. If you wonder how do I even do that, I trust my church family enough to just talk to whoever's next to you and they would love to tell you about it. You don't need an elder. You don't need an elder's wife or a governing board member. Just talk to whoever's next to you. They'd love to tell you how to know Jesus. For others, do you really know him? Is he your Lord? Or are you standing on the fence, hedging your bet, hoping that fire insurance keeps you out of hell? Well, this morning, my prayer for you is simple. Come to Jesus. Follow him. And then, if you still read a physical Bible, you'll know that the words of Jesus are usually in red. Let us live in the red together, amazed by what Christ can do. Let's rise for the benediction. Lord, I confess what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free. Lord, may we live in freedom. May we live in hope. And may we live as sons and daughters of you, the Most High God, walking with Jesus wherever he leads. And may we be light in this dark world. In your name I pray, amen. You are dismissed. Don't forget to join us for a very special all-church lunch next Sunday. And have a wonderful day. Follow him.